Well, thank you all. Uh, you can make it this morning. I'm a little bit tired of the cold, so I'm going to move somewhere warmer like Anchorage, Alaska. So um, according to the weather, it's colder here than there. So uh, if you want to thaw out, that's where you go. In fact, I, I kind of keep up with the uh, different cities around the world for one reason or another, and it's been warmer here, I mean colder here than in Inverness, Scotland. That's a, that's a pretty cold place. So uh, um, if you want to be warmer, you got to go there, but not as much sunlight, a lot less. Um, t- this morning, we are still in our uh, 2020 challenge, 2022. It is time for Church for Kids. Parents have already read that, and they are going fast. So, um, But uh, if you don't know, we have a Church for Kids, and uh, our pastor takes care of that, one of our pastors. Um, but uh, we've been in this series on the 2022 challenge. This is the last week of that, and uh, we've covered fasting and faith and family and prayer, and we're back to faith, but it's really the church. I'm talking about the church, and we are uh, the, the thing that Jesus started that carries the body of doctrine uh, to the world, the body of belief um, that we have to all the world. So I want to talk to you about the church today, and you can go, go ahead in your Bible and be opening to Ephesians 1. I'm not going to cover as many scriptures, but again, a reminder. Somebody told me last week they couldn't find the app on their app store, on the Apple app store. I don't know if we got that worked out or not, but they went through Google and got it onto their iPhone. Um, but it's Calvary Baptist Stanton. That's how you find that. Uh, you type in Calvary, there's a ton of those, okay? Uh, so we're Calvary, we're Baptist, and we're in Stan. So if you remember that, or on our webpage, all these notes are there. Um, and tonight we will do something extra at, at 5 o'clock. Um, I wrote a sermon for this, and it was really technical. I don't know what other word to say. It's not that, but out of that, there's a lot to say that we need to hear and so that's what I'm going to do tonight. So we got a, a different sermon. I'm coming out from a little different angle just uh, for this setting. It'll be a little more appropriate. So come back at five tonight. Uh, this is a whole thing that you, we, I can't cover in two hours. I, I had to take courses that covered, you know, uh, 30 or 100 hours on this kind of stuff. So, uh, but, but it's at least an introduction to it. And so... Um, What I want you to take home with you today is this, before I read any scripture. Jesus died so we can be the church. That that is kind of a foundational understanding of what's going on. If you've opened your Bible to Ephesians, you can follow along with me in verses 22 and 23 and just hear this uh, as you follow. And he put all things under his feet. Now, this is the end of one of the longest sentences in literature. Most of Ephesians chapter 1 is one sentence, and this is the conclusion of that sentence. And he put all, that's why the word and is there, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, I don't pretend to understand everything in Scripture. I certainly don't pretend to understand things that haven't happened yet that the Bible tells us are going to happen. So, just with that caveat, uh, let me say that I want you to notice all things are under Jesus as our head and all those things are contained in the church. Not the nation of Israel, the church. If the nation of Israel is be saved, it becomes part of the church and the church is are the spiritual Christians or those who are actually saved are made the people of God, according to Romans 
uh, chapter 2 and the end of the chapter are made the true children of God. So everybody, no matter if you're Jew or Gentile, have to come through the cross. And this is that mystery. Unless you think I'm kind of making that up, if you'll just turn the page from Ephesians 1 to Ephesians 3, Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so the gospel unites all Jew and Gentile into one body. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, as we talk about your body, your bride, your building, your people, Lord, your brothers and sisters, your flock of sheep, Lord, we talk about the church today. And we are your bride, and we await the coming of the bridegroom. Lord, we, we, we want our lamps to be full. We want to be watchful, waiting for you. But in the meantime, Lord, we want to be doing what you called us to do. And Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you uh, for your death on the cross for us. For indeed, there you died for us. Lord, as we've sung about that today, our hearts are just moved and filled with, the, with just the joy and the grace of God and who you are and what you've done for us. May today we see the beauty of your bride and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say sit down because usually you're standing up when I do that. It's like, you know, a habit. If you ever, how many of y'all remember albums? Yeah, you know, kids don't know. They just find a song they like and download it, right? Huh? Vinyls. Oh, okay. You, uh, well... Yeah, never mind. I'll, I'm going to stop. I got in trouble right there. But uh, yeah, those long L, that long playing LP album. But you would know what the next song was coming. You listen to that thing so much. It was like, and if, and if you ever, and what, now you got an iPod, and you can mix them. And you, you, you hear an old song, you want to sing that next song, you know. So anyway, that was, I don't know why I ran that little rabbit. That was a skinny rabbit. Um, I want to ask you a question, though. We're, we, we are a church. The, the people of God are uh, organized into local visible assemblies. And the Bible speaks about the church a lot. In most cases, it's talking about local visible assemblies. We understand the church universal, that, that um, everybody who's a member of Calvary is not in the church. They're not all saved. We're on the membership roll. Membership roles don't get you saved. God doesn't check membership roles. On our membership roles, he checks the book of life, right? You read that in Revelation. If your name's not there, it doesn't matter what you did. If he opens the book of works, brother, you're in trouble. If you've been working your way to heaven, let me just tell you, you can't work that hard, all right? Because the standard is you've got to be perfect. And I hadn't been perfect since uh, before I was born, probably. I uh, know that actually the Bible tells me that, Psalm 139, that I was conceived in sin. So I've been a sinner from the beginning. I've needed a Savior. I've needed that mercy we just sang about. And so we understand that, but, but I want you to understand that we are a church. We meet as a body. So most of you in here, you've been to church. You come to this one probably. And I want to ask just a simple question. And I'm, I want to give credit where it's due because sometimes I don't. But Pastor Stephen has been saying this a lot, and it just sort of resensitized me to it. But I want to ask you, what is the most important job in the church? Who is the most important 
person, and I know Jesus is the answer. That's, that's the Sunday school answer, right? Y'all know that, right? But uh, I know that. But other than Christ, who is the most important member of the church, the local body assembly? <laughs> Somebody said the nursery worker. I think they come in the top second, but the servant. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor, nursery worker, choir member, musician, deacon, elder, whatever. The most important member of the church is the servant. Jesus showed us that at the washing of the feet. He said, what I did, you do it. Philippians gives us the doctrine of it. He emptied himself of, of his independent exercise of deity, put on a, hum, a, a, a flesh suit, a human body. Being all God, all man, he did everything he did as a man. He walked where he went. He stubbed his toe. It bled. He got hungry when he didn't eat. He got tired when he didn't sleep. And he passed the test when he was tempted by Satan and won the fight. And he told us, you go be servants like I'm a servant. So no matter what your position or job or, or assignment in the church is, the most important person is the servant. So once you get that mindset, you serve each other all the time, Right? And so I just want to give you that just kind of as another little foundational layer as we talk about things about the church. Because the first thing I want to talk about is what is the motivation of the church. Now, I'm going to ask what the motivation is before I, before I even talk about the task uh, of the church. Uh, in fact, I will talk more about the task tonight. Let me, uh, well, we'll come to it in just a second. I, I've got it in this point. I've got a slide to show you. But if you look at Matthew 6.10, or if you don't want to turn there, it's a verse that you could probably quote back to me because it is part of the Lord's Prayer, or what we call the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. The Lord's Prayer is in John 17, when Jesus prayed the high priestly prayer to the Father. But he, they said, teach us to pray. And say, so well, this is how you pray. And he gave us some things. I'm going to pull one thing out of this, just one little thing. And it's in verse 10 of chapter 6 of Matthew. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the motivation of the church. And I'll tell you why. God made the world. Genesis, we've covered that. There's all kinds of different theories and doctrines and all that out there. But at some point, uh, God had made a bunch of other things. He'd made creatures called, we call them angels, and angels a messenger. That word's referred to as pas in, uh, to pastors. That word's referred to as the spiritual beings uh, that, can, that can appear as a man, as can appear in flesh. Uh, but they are a spirit uh, by nature. Uh, angels that we think of when we say that word, but there's different kinds of angels in the Bible. Um, and, and so God had done all of that, and he created, he, he formed the world, he created it, he gave it a form, he gave it all the things that we know, land, water, all the things that we need, and then he made man. Well, God had done all of that, and somewhere in all of that going on, one of his created beings, one of those angelic type beings that we think of when we use that word angels, rebelled against the creator God. Now that's a big deal. And then that same being came to the Garden of Eden, which could be a picture of the house of God, where God had placed Adam and Eve, and he tempted Eve, who tempted her husband, and they fell, and sin has been passed on to us ever since, right? So the will of God has not been being done the way God wanted it to be done from that day to this. 
And Jesus said our prayer ought to be, thy will be done on earth like it's done in heaven. So the church ought to be about doing the will of God. We will never march enough, yell enough, or vote enough to get the world to obey the will of God. The only way that'll happen is if we get every person on earth to bow the knee, claim Jesus as Lord, and then they start following his will. We'll still mess up because guess what? The church is made up of sinners who are becoming more and more like Jesus every day. But we're not there yet, so we're going to mess up, right? It's okay to say yes, right? Right, we are going to fail. We're going to mess up. We'll make mistakes. Sometimes we'll intentionally sin. Thankfully, God has told us what we need to do about that, which is go repent, which means to turn away from your sin, turn to his grace, his forgiveness, and continue. But we are to be the kingdom of God. The church's main motivation and task and idea is to be the kingdom of God, to be the church. His kingdom is coming, but his kingdom is already seen in us. Right. Amen. When I pause, that's just your chance to go, yes. Somebody told me, I'm just still thinking, man. I'm, I don't want to say anything. Yet. I, I, I get that. But, but we are to be the kingdom of God. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is in you. If the Holy Spirit lives in you, do you think the kingdom of God lives there? Absolutely. The kingdom of God is already within the church. He is in the church corporately. The Holy Spirit fills the corporate body of the church, but he fills each one of us independently or, or individually as well. And so to bring about the kingdom of God is what is our task. We are to be the kingdom of God and his will be done here as it is done in heaven. And then we are have a task in the world. And that task is to witness to people of the Christ, and if they receive him, to teach them how to obey Christ. That's how we will change the world. Like I said, we won't make enough laws. No criminal ever checks. Well, oh, I was going to rob that bank, but I read in the rule book, you're not supposed to do that, so I'm just not going to. No, they, that, that's not their motivation at all. Only those who want to follow the will of God would obey his laws that are found in scripture all right so i want to show you a slide it should be the next slide thank you uh debbie helped me debbie made that for me everything the church is or is to be is seen in those four words all right i, I just want to make it as simple as possible because we we try to complicate it go you take all of this you come down to this and then you come back out to the big stuff again okay we are to be a witness for Christ. We are to do evangelism. We use that word evangelism. That's missionaries. That's you talking to your neighbor. That's you talking to your kids. That's you talking to somebody you work with. And what do you talk about? You talk about Jesus. You talk about how great he is and what he uh, uh, did by dying on the cross. Because when he went to the cross and died, that is where he defeated the devil. Right? Y'all, I know it's early and it's cold outside, but come on. Right? Okay, that's a gimme. You got to say right. You got to help me out. I, I need to hear feedback, all right? So we're to go tell people about that. And the people, God will save some people we talk to if we do that. We talk about the Lord. We don't talk about the church. Don't talk about preacher. Don't talk about some great man. You can give your testimony, but your testimony ought to be telling people how great Jesus is. All right, now you do that as an individual. You can do that on an individual basis, but we also do it as a church. 
Uh, we used to have revival meetings. We don't do that so much. We still have some special guests sometimes, special meetings. Uh, we do that through Bible school. We do that through Sunday school. We do that just by going out and ministering in the community. We, we can go and we do evangelism together as a body. But once someone is saved, we're to teach them to act like Christ. That's what edification means. It means to build up, to make stronger. And so the body becomes stronger when it looks more and more like Christ together. Amen. There you go. Good. And so we do both of those individually. I grow in Christ as I study the word, as I pray, as I follow Christ. I get stronger in my, in my teaching and I can help one other person get stronger. So that's what I meant by individually. So uh, let's say, Brother Andy, I see his life and I go, man, I need you to help me. I need you to teach me how you're obeying Christ like that. And he helps me. He starts talking to me and teaching me. And we meet on a regular basis. And he helps me. He can disciple me or edify me individually. But we edify each other corporately. Again, to this type of service. Very little edification could be done in a service like this. This is sort of like advertising. Just makes you aware you need to learn some more. Okay? Uh, I will give you good things. I'll, I'll try to give you something you can use. But you really, you, you have to break that down smaller. So we meet in connect groups or Sunday school groups. And we try to teach the Bible well in those groups so people can know more. But we're not teaching for knowledge. We're teaching for action. We're teaching for a change of life. And I, I didn't mean that the way that came out. I'm not talking about the change of life. We're working for a change of life. You got to be an older person to understand what that phrase means. All right? But if you're young, you'll find out. All right? Um, you, you'll learn. But, but those four things, those four words tell us everything church is supposed to be doing. Okay? We are to be the body. And if we are the body, this is how we'll act. We'll witness for Christ and we'll help other people look like Christ. We'll do that individually. We'll do that together corporately. You with me? Okay, good. That's a great foundation. Uh, we'll talk about that more tonight probably. But there are some markers that identify the church. And if you would, you can turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, again, I like to give credit where it's due. Uh, this was a, a whole sermon that I read online. Uh, he gave these ideas. I, I'm not plagiarizing the sermon. I didn't write down what he said. Um, I'm just taking a, a, a good model he gave. In fact, I expanded on it and made it part of my sermon. So... I'm just telling you, uh, I'm stealing this from a good brother, I'm sure. Because there are markers of a church. And by the way, I, I just want to say one thing about the body we see. We're, we're in a time, this is, this is kind of off the page a little bit. But we're in a time where our youngest part of our, of our uh, 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 citizenship and culture, kids that grew up in church, they're, they're adults already, they're past 18 as we count an adult, um, but they're not way older, so up to early 30s. And there's a whole movement. When I was a teenager, we had a movement come through. We called it a revival. Now we're having this anti-revival. We're having something called the deconstruction of your faith. And a lot of people are doing it. And in fact, you're seeing it pop up in popular uh, movies and TV shows and literature where all of a sudden the evangelical church there's something wrong with it. And let me, let me just be super honest with you. They're right. There is. Because I already told you, none of us are perfect. We're going to mess up. 
But sometimes the way we've gone about things has not been the best thing. We, we get caught up in stuff that is not important. We, we emphasize things that have nothing to do with Christ sometimes. And so the church is to be the bride of Christ. And the Bible says in Ephesians, I should have gotten that text written down for you, but I didn't. But you can look it up. He says that he will present that bride to him spotless and without wrinkle, without blemish or wrinkle. And a wise man said, that means he's got some washing and ironing to do. So God's testimony himself is that we're not everything we ought to be. All right? But what is happening is people have lived by a set of rules or by a religious idea instead of as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And somebody finally went, hey, the emperor has no clothes. Because we were claiming to be something we weren't living out. Still with me? Okay, that has a ton of ramifications. I don't have time to talk about each one of those. But what did I say about who the body is? We are the bride of whom? And you ought to be careful how you talk about the bride of Christ. Because you're walking into God's gun sight when you do. Because I guarantee you, you can insult my wife, but then you're going to have to deal with me. You say, oh, you're so tough. Not really. You could probably whoop me, but you're going to pay the price for whooping me, I can tell you. Why? Because that's my bride. We are his bride. He'll fix us. He'll clean us up. He'll iron us. But what do we have to do for that to happen? We've got to be a bride that's humble before him and say, you are Lord. And we are open to what we need from you, right? Isn't that what we got to be? Yes, amen. So I want to point out some of these markers. We find it in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. I don't know if I said that, but that's where we are. And uh, uh, verse 14, I'll even back up to that uh, just, to, just to introduce it. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that, so Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, I'm writing this so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So you got to read the rest of the chapter to find out what he's telling us how to behave in the church of God. But now he gives a definition of the church. He defines who the church is. Notice the first thing, and just to make it more general, is that we are in a fellowship with one another. He says, how to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. We are the household of God. We are in a fellowship. We are together. We belong to one another, and that means we are all brothers and sisters. We all have the same father. Now, well, I won't even go there. It's not important. We are, we are all together as brothers and sisters in Christ. God is our Father. Christ says, I am your brother. Now, that's pretty amazing to me. The Bible says we are joint heir with Christ, which means we, we are co-heir. It's not like he gets half and we get half. He's an heir, we're an heir. We get all the promises of God. That's 2 Corinthians 1. As many as may be the promises of God in Jesus, they are yes. It is Jesus on the cross, as we just sang, that gives the church everything she needs. Because what is denied to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? 
nothing. Everything in the scripture belongs to the church. Now we like to, again, we, we like to talk in ways that makes it sound like we don't have that, but we have the, well, we'll get, see more of that. But we are brothers and sisters. We are together in this. We are not each other's enemy. Anybody ever been to Second Harmony Baptist Church? First Harmony had a fight, so some people left, started another one. They called that one Second Harmony. Nobody was in harmony. John 17, I'll talk about this tonight. How a church starts is important. And if you started by fighting your brothers and sisters, that ain't so good. And I've learned sometimes fighters are just fighters. They're just looking for a reason to fight. They're not looking for an answer. They're not looking to be the church of God. And so we have fellowship with one another. That marks a church. And it doesn't matter race. It doesn't matter culture. It doesn't matter sex, male or female. It matters that we are the church, brothers and sisters. We're told as, as young men to treat the, the sisters as a sister, the elder women as mothers. The men are to treat each other as brothers together with each other. We are in the same house with the same father. Secondly, we've got something nobody else has. We have God's presence with us. Especially when we're doing God's will. I just made a little point there, Matthew 28, 20. He said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Yeah, God is with us all the time, he said. When you go into all the world and preach the gospel and disciple the nation and have fellowship with one another, right? Now he promises to be with us. He didn't say he'd be with us when we're out here fussing and fighting. He said he'd be with us when we're doing his will. Are you with me? Okay, I'm just trying to help you think through this uh, in a systematic way. So when we're doing God's will, he's with us. And guess what? We have a better advantage than Jesus' physical presence. I, I remember as a kid, I, I thought it myself, and I would hear people say, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to live when Jesus was here? Wouldn't it be wonderful if, if Christ were here right now with us? Well, number one, he is. But he's in a, he, with us in a better way. Let me read John 16, 7. And I stopped at John 6. Let me turn a page. There we go. Listen to what he says in verse 7 of John 16. It is good for you... It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the rulers, uh, rulers of this world are judge, is judged. I still have many more things to say to you. He told us it was to our advantage if he left because the Holy Spirit would come. And when the Holy Spirit came, we would be able to do the works Jesus did. That's in that chapter as well. Great, the works you see me do, you'll do even greater works. And that's why I'm going away. So the power of God by the person of the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity. Listen. The Holy Spirit is not the force. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is God, a very God, equal in essence. He is equal in power and authority. He is in total agreement with the Father and the Son. And he lives inside you. Paul says we have this, this glory in an earthen vessel. 
A broken pot, he calls it. Can you imagine that? It's in 2 Corinthians. That the very glory of God dwelt. We love reading the Old Testament. Oh, wouldn't it have been great to be there when God's glory went to the tent of meeting in the wilderness and just kind of pushed everybody out. It was so great. When they dedicated the temple at Solomon, they couldn't even get close because the glory of God came down. Listen, that glory lives inside of you. Why, do, why don't we ever see him come out? Well, it might be because we're not being obedient <laughs> by living our life the way we ought to. It might be we're not being obedient by doing what he told us to do. I, I, I don't want to put down coming to church because I think that the Bible tells us we ought to. But what do we do once we get here and what do we do when we leave? When we get here, it's, we ought to be teaching each other in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs by preaching the word, teaching the word, how to look like Jesus, and then go into the world and look like Jesus. Okay, and, and listen, I, you know, I, I have to think all this stuff through. I struggle to do that well uh, myself. And here's the deal. He won't ever leave us. In Hebrews 13, 5, I, I probably, this is a verse I quote a, a lot, but um, in Hebrews 13, 5, he is where he promises that he will never, ever leave us, okay? Um, I didn't mark all my verses today. Let me see. Here we go. Verse 5, he says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. In, the, in English, we have to say it that way. In Greek, that is the one that has five modifiers on it. I will never, never leave you. I will never, 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 never forsake you. This is the strongest verse in the Bible, the last half of verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 13. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. We have his presence. What does that mean practically for you and me? You say, I don't witness because I'm scared. What are you scared of? Well, I'm scared they'll ask a question I can't answer. Guess what? Somebody can ask anybody a question they can't answer. I mean, I saw Ben Stein, the Hollywood actor, ask one of the smartest men so-called in the world, Richard Dawkins, a question that he couldn't answer. Because he's an atheist and he's closed his mind off to truth. No, not at all. Thank you. He said, not a very smart man. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And so, we have God's truth. And that's the third thing I want you to see in this text. The, the, the middle one, we have God's presence with us. Um, sorry, I'm in First Timothy uh, chapter 3 and verse uh, uh, 15 and following. Uh, if I did, uh, delay you how to behave in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. And so we, he is the living God. We have the living God's presence with us is what I was talking about. And then the last thing he says is a pillar and buttress of the truth. The church is supposed to be about the truth. I have been in a church meeting where somebody quoted the scripture and someone else said, I don't care what the Bible says. I think there's a word for that, but I don't think I'm allowed to say it from up here. I mean, that's bad, man. I, I, and, and I tell people this all the time. I don't mind having a discussion with you. If you want to argue over something, I, I, you can lead me down that path quick. I, I shouldn't be that way, but 
The Bible says, a Pastor, I'm not supposed to be argumentative. But I'm an argumentative person, so I've got to push that down a lot. But I'll tell you this, when we get to talking and you make a claim, I'm going to ask you to back it up in here. Because I don't know, and you don't know, but he does. Right? Because I don't know, and you don't know, but he knows. And so we open the Word of God to find out what we ought to be doing as the kingdom of God, being the kingdom of God, and acting like the kingdom of God. And so we have this eternal Word of God in writing. Matthew 5, 18, search the Scriptures. In uh, In them you think you find the truth, and these are they that testify of me. In 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21, Peter says, we were there on the Mount of Transfiguration and our hands touched him. Our eyes beheld him. We, we broke bread with him. But I give you a more sure word, the prophecy of the Bible, the scriptures that have been given are more sure, Peter says, than my experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now that's pretty bold talk. Because we have the eternal word of God in person and in writing. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then we have the written word of God, uh, the, same, uh, the same place, the same verse as John, and we beheld his glory, glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John is, says, and I told you, search the scriptures, in them you find me. This is all about Christ. So we have the written word and the living word. And that, takes, and that marks the church. We have fellowship with one another. We have God's presence with us. And we have the truth of Scripture. Man, if a guy is preaching from the latest newscast, that's pretty bad because they're going to change that next year. We've been being told during this pandemic, follow the science. Well, the science has been changing every day for two years. Why do they have to make new textbooks every year if science is so settled? Because it's not settled. In fact, it's a misuse of the word science. Science means we don't know. We're just trying to figure it out. That's not what the word itself means, but they got to do an experiment that is provable, measurable, and recordable. And so when they tell you something that those three things can't apply, it is not science. It's a guess. Okay? And so we have the sure word. We, we can't know that the sky is blue, even though our eyes tell us. What if you're colorblind? What does blue look like to you if you're colorblind? I don't know. I don't know that when I say blue and you say blue, we're talking about the same thing. Because I don't know how you see it. Right? But if God says it, that settled it. I don't have to believe it. That settled it. I'm smart if I do believe it. But I don't have to believe it to make it right. It's already settled in heaven. In fact, the Bible says my word is settled in heaven. But now I want you to see the message of the truth. And that's in verse 16. The message of the truth is Jesus. Look what it says. Great indeed, we confess the mystery of godliness. I think you ought to be able to tell people what Jesus did for you. Okay, I think you ought to be able to tell people how you came to know Christ. I think that's a very important thing. But in telling people what God has done for you, you ought to be telling them about Jesus. I want you to understand the difference between Christianity and everything else. Every other religion is the temptation of Satan. 
If you do this, you can become like a god or become God. That's what Satan's initial rebellion was about. That's what he's tried to get everybody to do. Many popular health, wealth, and prosperity preachers on TV, radio, and they got a lot of books you can buy, is how you can get healed and rich. And the Bible says you've fallen into the snare of the devil when you think that way. Christianity says you're no good apart from Christ. But he loved you enough to save you and to make something great out of you, to make you in his image, remake you, to give you his person, his mind, his actions in you. But we don't come at that like, oh, I'm going to become God. No, we come at that, I'm a sinner and I need help. And God helps us to act in a humble servant way. That's why I asked you at the very beginning, and Pastor Stephen, I gave you credit even though you were back there with the kids, because you've been reminding me of this lately. The greatest job in the church is the servant. Because I don't deserve anything except hell. And if I didn't get hell, I'm getting a lot more than I deserve. And so I can do any job in this church as unto Christ. You can clean a toilet as unto Christ. You can mop the floor as unto Christ. You can pick up trash as unto Christ. You can work in the nursery as unto Christ. You can sing in the choir as unto Christ. You can preach as unto Christ. You can do whatever task is before us where God wants to place you as unto Christ. And notice what it says in this verse, because this verse just talks about Jesus. He was manifested in the flesh. The word manifested means made known. He, he, it became visible. He was in the flesh. That is extremely important. Demons want to deny that Jesus was put into flesh. That that Jesus who historically died on the cross, the most provable fact of ancient history, that Jesus lived, died, and rose again. The most, that's the most provable fact by every kind of evidence there is that in history... He was made known in the flesh. And that's why he says in John, when you test the spirits, has Jesus come in the flesh? Because they want to deny that Jesus put on humanity. Because if he didn't put on humanity, he didn't die for us. And if he didn't die for us, we're hopelessly lost. He had to die as a man who passed the test that Adam failed. Read Romans 5. And he did that. And he gives us his righteousness because we don't have any. And we need his, and he gives us his righteousness and begins to mold his image in us. He was made known in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit at the baptism of John. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration, which was a mountain that is dedicated to Satan, by the way. The gates of hell, literally the name, the gates of hell, is the name of a cave there. There are more high places, Old Testament pagan worship, on that place than anywhere else. And Jesus went up there and got transfigured to put it in the devil's face. I'm God on earth and I'm going to the cross and I'm going to pay for their sins. And at that place when Peter said, hey, let's make three tents and you and Moses and Elijah stay here. A voice from heaven said, this is my son. Listen to him. He's vindicated in the spirit. He's seen by angels. Well, they saw him all the time. Why is that in there? Those fallen angels. That's who saw him, and they went, uh-oh, because now their doom is sure. He died, he rose again, that man could be saved. And his plan to keep us lost has lost. And the plan to bring us into glory has been achieved by Jesus on the cross. 
He was proclaimed to all the nations, at least the ones they knew of back then. But there were more nations to go to. He's believed on amongst men, and then he was taken up into glory. And he's going to come back. It doesn't say that right there. That is the message of the church. This is Jesus. He's the conqueror. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the one, the lamb slain before, from before the foundation of the world. And there in Revelation, when John is shown the scroll with the six seals, and all heaven is listening, he says, who is worthy to open the scroll? And he says, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was found worthy to open the scrolls. And he began to weep bitterly. And the angel with him said, John, don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to open the scroll and to reveal the will of God for the end of time and for all time. And John says, and I turned and looked. He wanted to see the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he said, and I saw a lamb slain sitting on a throne. On the cross, Jesus declared the victory. And that's who we are. We are his trophy case. We are his victory. We are his body. We're his bride. We're his building. We are his flock of sheep. He is our shepherd. He leads us where we need to go. He does for us what, he, what we need him to do as we are his witness in the world. So what can you do this week? Examine your motive for being here. Why do you come to church? A lot of our young people are deconstructing their faith. They, they want to blame the church. And the church makes mistakes. Like I said, we, we always do. But a godly church repents, finds Christ's will, and, and changes, right? But what is your motive for being here? Is it to hear a sermon? Well, I did my religious duty for the week and go home. Are you open to hear something from the Word of God that will change your life forever? And that you, are, you, are, you come in here saying, God, tell me something that I can obey today. Give me something that will change my life that I will be more like Jesus for being there. Is that your motive for coming? People leave church going, I didn't get anything out of that. Because your container is leaky, I guess. I don't know. Because if, if, if anybody mentions the Word of God or reads a verse, you ought to get something. That's more about you being out of tune than anybody else being out of tune. I'm not perfect. I know I'm out of tune. But I got to get tuned up by the Word of God, right? And so why do you come? Why do I come every week and preach? Because I want you to hear God's Word. I want to know God's Word. I get more out of studying for sermons than, than I ever get to say up here. Secondly, are you marked by the church? Are you marked by Christ? Are you marked like the church is marked? Are you in fellowship? Do you know God's presence is with you? Are you living in God's truth? And are you proclaiming Christ or just your version of him? It's real easy to proclaim your version of Jesus. We think he's, you know, Santa Claus or we think he's old gray-bearded guy wanting to kill everybody. You know, we, we, we get these weird views. You know, we think he actually looks like those paintings that are in Sunday school rooms sometimes. What's the name of that guy? Yeah. Walter Salmon. I didn't know. That Pastor Andy knew who painted that thing. The Head of Christ is what it's called. That was his idea. That's not what he looked like. It was not a Polaroid, okay? It was just some guy's idea. This is what Christ looks like. 
this is what Christ looks like. And when we look into this and we say, wait a minute, this doesn't look like that, it's our job to start looking like that. 